thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. Today I'm going to talk about something that, uh, that I'd have to say most people, the church gets the bad rap because everyone says the church wants one thing from you. What is it? Money. Isn't that funny? I didn't, I didn't even have to, you didn't have to think about it. We all know, all oh, the church wants my money. And the televangelist with the funny hairdo hasn't helped the church out much. That's just a reality. But here's the reality. I'm going to talk about God's word, his promises, and your finances. Because what's the point of if everything in our life belongs to God? If everything we possess belongs to God, what are the principles, what are the conditions that we're to handle our finances with? And so before you turn off your brain, before you run out and say, oh, great, he's going to talk about money, I, I, want, you to, I want you to hang on for a minute this morning. Because what I'm talking about today, I believe it could save your marriage. I believe that it could actually serve your future. I believe that if you allow it to go deep in your heart, that you can leave the legacy that you actually want to leave on this earth. I believe it can bring real joy in your life. It can deliver you from the grip of the seduction of materialism that the American dream has, has really birthed and smeared on us as human beings. And I believe it can draw you closer to God. But just quickly, I was thinking about this whole idea of money. And I, and I was reminded of this story. I actually didn't tell it first service, but it just made me chuckle, so I thought I'd tell it with you. About a pastor that just finished his sermon. And so he walked into the back of the church, and, and he was shaking hands as people left and, and just greeting people. After shaking a few adults' hands, this little nine-year-old boy came up to him and he bent down. He said, well, hi, Jonathan. And, and he reached out to shake Jonathan's hand and he says, well, good morning. And as he, as he shook his hand, he felt something was in the palm of Jonathan's hand. He said, well, Jonathan, what, what, what's this? The, you know, the preacher was wanting to know, what, what's in your hand? And the, the seven-year-old said this. He said, well, it's money. And he had a big smile on his face. And the seven-year-old said, it's for you preacher. He said, well, thank you, though. I, I don't want to take your money. I, I, I don't want to take your money. You just take your money. And, uh, and the little boy says, no, I really want you to have it. And after a short, short pause, the boy said, my, my daddy says, you're the poorest preacher we've ever had, and he wants to help you. <laughs> anyway, no one, no one needs to do that to me this morning. Yeah, thank you, thank you. But you know what, this whole thing with money is that you don't have to be poor in order to have fears about money. You don't have to be on welfare to have financial fears. And the reality is this, that financial fears dominate most of our lives. It's, it's this sense and this feeling that there's never going to be enough. There's not enough for me, and so therefore I have to live my life differently. And so, or it's the other side, it's the fear that not having a certain lifestyle will actually reflect negatively on my life. And so we spend our whole lives trying to keep up the image of a lifestyle so it doesn't reflect negatively on us. And so I actually believe many of us, including myself, have distorted beliefs about finances. And we don't even know that those beliefs are there. But here's the, here's the deal, that when you have false beliefs about finances, it creates a, a wrong emotions inside of our hearts, like anxiety, insecurity, anger, manipulation, 
dishonesty, compromise, when we are ruled by the sphere of finances. So today I want to look at finances through the filter of the Word of God and really look at the promises that God has for us in our finances. And one of the most all-encompassing scriptures of the Bible and promises of the Bible comes out of Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. I'd like for us to read it this morning and then I'll just get into this. And so let's read it together. God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now this is a loaded, loaded statement. So after you read this, then the, 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 the kind of initial thought is this, okay, then Jason, then how come I have financial needs? If that's true, how come I have financial needs? Or how come I know people who have financial needs? Is, is God, did God lie to me? Did God exaggerate? Is that not what he meant to say? And here's the deal with God's promises, that whether we like this or not, it's true. And if you disagree with me, that's fine. But the reality is, is there are conditions with God's promises. It's kind of like, in, in order for us to be saved and have, have our lives eternally spending them with God and have Him living in our lives, He promised that all those who put their trust in Him will be saved. But the condition of the salvation is that we put our what? Trust in Him. So that's the condition. That we're responsible for. And so here's the deal. Is that there are conditions this morning that we're going to be looking at. Specifically five of them. That if we live by them that God will meet all of your needs. Now notice here it doesn't say God will meet all of your greeds. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say, you know, listen, that God's provision for your life is not like a restaurant menu and you just pick, oh, I'll take one of those. I'll take a filet mignon. Ooh, that lobster tail looks really nice. That's not what it is. And I don't understand all the complexities of how God leads us and how he shapes us and how he, how he conforms us. But this is a pretty big promise. That if we live by these conditions, he will actually meet all of our financial needs. And these are five conditions. They're simple, but I believe they can unlock God's provision in our lives. And here's the other, other thing is this. When, we, when we're going to talk about this today, there's two things I want you to keep in mind. One, God meets all of our needs with eternity in mind. In other words, this world is not our beginning and end. He meets our needs according to this desire that he has for us that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. Therefore, let me ask you guys, guys this. If you gave your child everything they, need, everything they wanted, could you say that their character would be good today? No, it would not. Because God cares about your character, because God cares about conforming you into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, there's going to be some times when you're not going to understand the why. You're not going to understand, why is it that I don't have this? Why is it that I'm, that I'm struggling in these areas? You have to understand, there, God is conforming you into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. The goal when you step from this life into the grave is not so you can like, be like, hey, I got everything I want to know. No, no, no. Our desire as a believer should be God I allowed you to conform me into the image of your son, Jesus Christ, to the best of my ability. That's God's first priority. And so as we look at this today, there's, the, there's that filter. And the other filter is 
through the filter of the gospel. That it is Jesus through his sacrifice purchased everything for you. So as we go through some of these conditions, you say, I'm not doing that. Well, thank God we have a Savior who by his grace can forgive us and we can move on. And we we can be prosperous and we can be blessed because, not because of just the conditions, but because of the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. Okay? All right. So I want to to look at these things, this whole idea. What is the first key of accessing the promises of God through the word of God? And so it's just this first key that we want to look at today. It's a simple one. How do you do that? It's the first thing is you ask God for help. This is probably the, the, the most overlooked, the most probably underutilized thing in the body of Christ. We don't ask God for the needs that we have because we think, well, God doesn't really care. He absolutely cares. He absolutely cares. So James 4.2 says this, you do not have because you do not what? Ask God. Now that's pretty clear. God is waiting for you to ask him. And this is my challenge on this point for you is, this, is to really understand God wants me to engage with him on an everyday basis to talk to him about the needs in my life. But many times we don't ever ask. When's the last time that, that you needed a car or you needed something or you, whatever it may be? Here's the question. Did you ask God for it or did you just go out and buy it? Because naturally we just think, well, I'll just go out and buy it because that's what we do. My guess is m- most people didn't pray about the car you bought. You didn't pray about that something you, you, you went ahead and moved forward on. You just went out and bought it. But Jesus said out of Matthew 7, in chapter 7, verse 9, he says this, ask And it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Now there are people who are reading this and said, no, wait, I asked. I I, I was seeking. I was knocking. And I didn't get what I want. And they might have said it just like that. And I didn't get what I want. Again, every one of these promises is understanding that eternity is in mind. And that you being conformed to the image of Christ is in mind. This is an invitation by the God of the universe to interact with him, to talk to him, to ask him, to seek, to knock. Now, this is something I, I noticed this week. I thought it was really interesting. Maybe some of you guys have already noticed this. If you take the first letter of, uh, of ask, seek, and knock, what does that spell? It spells ask. God's like, come on, can you get the message? I want you to participate in a relationship with me. I want you to talk to me. I want you to to engage with me. It's 20 times in the New Testament that God says, ask. I want you to ask. And I know this from my own life, but I know this through Scripture. The first step of experiencing miracles in your life is by asking God. If you want to see God working in your life more, start asking God to work. If you've got debt in your life and you're like, God, I don't want this debt anymore. Listen, start asking God to help you with the debt. Don't allow this, the, the deep kind of guilt, well, I shouldn't have done it. Since I shouldn't have done it, then I can't ask about it. No, no, forget all of that. Just begin asking God, God, I want you to deliver me from this debt that is on my back. Begin to ask him about it. If you're going to buy a house, it doesn't mean you shouldn't buy the house. It just means you need to pray, God, is this what you want from me? Is this the direction you want me to go? Maybe God has a house he wants to give you. And so you're going to go and get a mortgage when he would have given you a house. I know that sounds crazy, but I totally believe that. 
And so this whole idea of God engaging, seeing miracles in your life starts by asking God, listen, can you give me some wisdom? I mean, I, I'd rather stand before God one day and, and him say, Jason, you, you were ridiculous on earth. You asked me for way too much. I'd rather him say that. Instead of saying, you know, Jason, I had so much for you. There was, there was things I wanted to do in your life and through your life that you just didn't have the courage or the faith to ask me for them. And I think what I want from this point for all of us is for God to put faith in our hearts to begin to believe that he actually cares about everything in our lives, that he wants us to engage and ask him for the things that we need and the things that we want. God invites us to seek, to ask to knock, because when we do this, our hearts begin to wrap around his hearts. And here's, here's the key to this thing. The more you ask, the more you seek, the more you fellowship with God, the more you begin to ask for what's on his heart. The more you begin to knock for what's in, on his heart. The more you begin to seek for what's on his heart. And then you begin praying about what is on the Father's will. The reality is this, that we live in a world that really is all about us. But we have to submit our wills, our will to the Father. Imagine this. Jesus, the Son of God, is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's in this moment he, said, he says, God, if there be any way. And he was facing the cross. He was facing, and he understood the mockery. He understood the, the, the sin he was going to taste for the first time because the sin was going to be laid upon him. He knew all of that. And he said, if there would be any way. That you could allow this cup to pass from me. Let it be. And then what did he say? But not my will, but yours be done. If the Son of God has to submit his will, don't you think we would also? Not my will, but yours be done. And that's what a prayer life does. It allows your will to actually become God's will. And the reality is this, we know God is not a, a slot machine in the sky that we pray and if we don't win, we kick it and we curse him and we, and, we, and we walk away. He is God Almighty who loves you, he's called you by name, he knows how many hairs are on your head, he knows the pain you're going through, he knows the joy you're going through, and he has a plan and a purpose. And he's looking for those who will trust him in the midst of pain, in the midst of, of joy, in the midst of mountaintops, in the midst of sorrows to say, God, I'm going to follow you no matter what, that he's conforming us. But as far as our, our finances, here's, here's a word of advice that's been around a long time for all of us here today is this, before you pay for it, you need to pray for it. It's just reality. Before you pay for it, you need to pray for it. Give God a chance to give you wisdom. Give God a chance to provide for you. And most Christians, actually, they depend more on CC, the credit card, than they do on JC, Jesus Christ, because it's just easier. Why? Because I want it now. I want it right now. So, Jesus, any answer? Nope, I'll just charge it. That's what I'm going to do. There's this joke, you know, it's kind of like, Lord, I just, listen, if you want to get out of debt, you don't go to the store and just, you know, in the name of Jesus, you know, Lord, I want to be out of debt. You just keep using your card. It's, Lord, I want to be out of debt. It's like standing in line at a buffet and be like, Lord, I want to lose some weight. Oh, God, I just, Lord, I need you to break through for me so I can lose some weight. Exactly the same. So this whole idea, ask God. Engage with him so that you can access the promises from his word 
for your finances. The second key for unlocking God's provision is this, that we are to strive to be content with what God has given us. Strive to be content to what God's given us. And here's the reality. We already talked about it just for a moment. God's far more interested in your character than he is about your comfort. It just is. Just like any good parent is far more interested in their child turning out to be a good child than they are turning out to be a child that's gotten everything that they've wanted. God wants you to grow. He wants you to mature. He wants you to be like Jesus. And he's, he's not interested in making your life interesting or making your life um, easy. He's interested and creating in you his heart so that you can fulfill your purpose on this earth. And really, he's about really answering the prayer that all of us have probably pr- prayed some point in our life is that God, make me more like your son Jesus. And he says, okay, give me your life and I'll do that. And many of us have bought into this lie, especially in America, that more is the key to you being happy. It's just not the key to you being happy. One of the foundational connections, actually, of addiction is, is this. If you do something or if you take it, whether a substance or something else, if you participate in it, it's a connection between that and endorphins that are released. But here's the deal. It's not true joy. And on the other side of it is greater sorrow. It's the same way with materialism. It's the same way with not being content with what God's given you. You always want more. And so why would God aid in our addiction? In chasing the joy in wrong places. He won't because he's a good father. And he wants to help you grow and be conformed into his image. His desire actually is that you would discover for you, as for your family and your life, that you would discover actual real joy. That that joy would come from deep within. Not about how little you have or how much you have. But you would be filled with joy because of who God is in your life. Doesn't mean we're, we're not going to be, be struggling at times. It doesn't mean we're not going to have difficulties at times. But it's having joy no matter what. And I believe that is the key of joy, is this whole idea of contentment. Paul wrote, wrote to Timothy in Timothy chapter 6. He said this Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world. And we can take nothing out of the world. He kind of lays it out pretty, pretty honestly. Listen, you came into this world with nothing and you're leaving with nothing. This whole idea, I've, I've never seen a, a, a baby being born who's holding a cigar and some keys to, a, to an Escalade. I've never seen that. They're born with an umbilical cord and pretty soon that's taken from them right away. You were born with nothing. This whole idea is that you came into this world. With nothing, you're going to leave with nothing. So don't make the stuff in your life the most important thing about your life. The most most important thing in your life, they aren't things. And God is saying to us, learn to be content. Learn to find joy in what you have. So here's the question then, what is contentment? What does it mean to be content? So, Because contentment doesn't mean you don't have any goals. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean you don't, you don't have ambition. It doesn't mean you don't have financial aspirations. Contentment means that my happiness in my life is not dependent upon my circumstances, about what I'm, what I'm going through, about what I have and what I don't have. And a lot of people get caught up in these, this thinking of like the when and then thinking. So when I get this... Then I'll be happy. Or when I get to a certain level economically, 
then I'll be happy. When I get a certain job, then, I, I, then I'll be happy. When I retire or when I get the house paid off or when I get the bills paid off, then I'll be happy. But here's the reality about who we are as humans. The moment you pay it all off, you're still not going to be happy because you've anchored your happiness into your stuff, not into your relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. God says this, I want you to learn contentment. And contentment is saying my happiness is dependent upon God and it's not about the circumstances of my life. I mean, Paul, Paul had to walk in this understanding of contentment. This was a guy, he was, he's like the superhero of apostles. He's been everywhere, done everything. And he writes this out of Philippians chapter 4. He says, I know how to live, look at these two contrasts, on almost nothing or with everything. He's learned to live that way. I've learned the secret of what? Contentment in every situation. Notice that, that Paul wasn't, wasn't saying this in like this manner that he had arrived to contentment. He said this, I've learned contentment. And contentment is something that you grow in, you learn in, you don't, you don't one day say, oh, now I'm content. You've you got to die to your flesh and your heart and the seduction of your wor- on the world on your life. you got to die to it. So that you can learn it and you can grow in your contentment. Because it doesn't come natural for us. So here's the question. How do I grow in contentment? This is something that, that Cheryl and I, we, we've strived our whole lives to grow in contentment. Not to anchor our joy in what we don't have or what we do have. But to be content with what we have. And here's the key. How do you grow in being content? Stop comparing. And you should write that down in your notes because this is the biggest key to contentment is stop comparing. Comparing causes discontentedness. You, you, you compare your houses. Well, look at their house. Boy, I wish I had that house. You compare clothes. You compare cars. You compare kids. Let's just be honest. You compare husbands. You compare wives. You compare churches. You compare pastors. You compare in-laws. I wish my in-laws were like their in-laws. That would make me what? Happy. I mean, when's the last time, really, that you you started going through (laughs) the cycle of comparison, of like comparing, and at the end of it, you're like, you know, that was a good exercise. I'm so glad I did that. You, You don't. Or, or next time, or you, you had a conversation with your wife and it, it, something, hey, babe, last week I was comparing you to John's wife and I just really. <laughs> Let me know how that turns out for you. <laughs> as soon as you buy an iPhone, guess what? Someone's got the new one. You're like, oh, man, what, what, is, what does your phone do? My phone doesn't do that. You're comparing. We are like, I don't know, it's like in us to always compare everything. We're constantly comparing. And comparing causes discontentment. And the reality is this, that God knows. He's not going to give us everything we want. Because if he does, we're going to put too much priority on that stuff in our lives instead of on him. Here's the question, can, can you trust God? Can God trust you with wealth? Can he do that? Well, here's the other question then. 
Have you learned to be content with what you have? I know it's God's desire for all of us in this room to be content with what God has given us. Even in your darkest of days. To be able to access contentment. That Paul just said, I've been without and I've been with. But I've learned contentment. And I know it's God. God wants us to learn this contentment because it's attached to the joy of your life. And I don't know why it is, but God has chosen money to be one of the primary ways he tests our faith. It just is. Probably because we spend our entire lives trying to make it, trying to earn it, trying to save it, trying to find it, trying to spend it, trying to use it, and then trying to earn some more so we can use it again. That's our whole life. If you say that's just kind of depressing, isn't it? We spend our whole lives trying to make money so we can spend it. But God chooses our, our finances as the main test on how we trust him. He wants us to ask when we have a need, and then learn to be content with what he gives us. If, you, if we don't learn contentment, you are never going to be happy. You're never going to find joy. You're, you're always going to be, it's, your accounts are always going to be, yeah, if it's, my, it's half empty. My whole life is half empty. My glass is half empty because I don't have what someone else has. God wants to meet your needs right where you are today. And he has promises for you that that can access his, he, these conditions that you can access his promises. So we need to ask God for help. We need to strive to be content. And number three, we need to practice giving in faith. This is one of my favorite things to do. I love to give. I know what you're thinking. I'm going to go ask Jason for money after church. But that's a, I love to give. I, there's something about it that, that increases my faith that God has brought finances into my hands to be able to give to somebody else. I remember I, rem- I, was, I was young. I was 18 years old, and I was aware of this, this gal in our church who had a need. She had a hard time paying her, uh, her, her, her car bill. And so I would gotten paid, and so I went and got, like, cash out. And I just, and her window was cracked at church, and so I left and I pushed this money in through the, through the, the, the window, and I pushed it in there, like flew all over, which was stupid because somebody would have walked by and been like, oh, my gosh, jackpot. <laughs> but the next day, the next um, Sunday at church, she was telling someone, you won't believe it. Somebody put money in my car, and I was able to pay my car bill. And I just, I love it. And I'm not saying that because of who I am. I'm just saying, I, I, I'm, I'm striving to listen to the Lord and respond to that. It's one of the reasons why I really try to, I try to carry cash around so that I can give it to people. Because it's, it's I believe it is it, it, practicing giving by faith. That's one of the reasons why my wife and I have made a decision. We're going to tithe. We are tithing to our church and we have our whole lives. And let me tell you something. We have never gone without and by faith, when we give, you think, my gosh, that 10%, listen, don't, do, don't give your 10% and be like, well, that could have been our vacation fund this year. Because naturally, as a human, you do that. But by faith, I'm sowing into God's kingdom, knowing that he's going to take that money, and he's going to be able to reach the lost souls of the world, but also on the other side for me, it changes my heart. It transforms me. 
And I pass a legacy of generation, a, a legacy to my, to, my, to my kids. And this is what it means to be generous. I help sow into the children's ministry that's going to exist 20 years from now. I, I help break the cycle and this, this seduction of materialism in my life. So Cheryl and I have always committed to do it. And I'm telling you, without a doubt, God has met every one of our needs in a supernatural way. It's true. And I, I, there's a story. One of our elders here, they, they were facing bankruptcy. And they made a decision. We're going to tithe. They started tithing. And their lives turned around drastically. And God has blessed that family over and over and over and over again. What was the determining factor? They were practicing giving in faith. This is not about the money. This is about unlocking God's promises for your life. And investing into his kingdom. And this is really, it's called the law of the harvest, which comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And, and now remember, this is in the Bible. This isn't something that I've made up. This is in the Bible. It says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. So if you give a little, you get a little. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. You give a lot, you get a lot. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves to see this faith in your heart that is so expectant. As I give, God's going to do something miraculous. Listen, if you ever feel pressure by man to give, don't do it. If you ever feel like, oh, I'm being guilted and they're using the God card to make me give, don't do that. Don't, do not give. Give out of your obedience to the Father. Give out of this heart of generosity. And if you do, if you will so generous, I mean, think about this. Now listen, you cannot believe John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, whoever believes in him shall be saved. You, you can't believe that and then not believe this. It's in the same book, just so you know. Same book. So what happens if you sow generously? What happens if you give? What happens as you break the cycle of materialism? As you, as you set your, your generations up for success and reaping that promise? What happens? Well, it goes on the verse 8 and says this. If you do that, God is able to bless you. He's able to. In other words... Your obedience unlocked his promise for your life. He now was able to bless you abundantly so that in all, think about this, in all things at all times. That's a, that's a massive statement. All things at all times. Having all that you what? All that you need. All that you need. You will abound and every good work. In other words, you can then sow again so that you can reap again. This is the principle of sowing and reaping. Every farmer knows this. I grew up in a farming community. No farmer stands at the edge of his, at the edge of his field and says, oh, gosh, I, I, what are we going to do? He, he, with seed in his barn, oh, gosh, there's no, there's no crops in the field. What's it? He goes and he gets his seed and he starts planting and he starts sowing. Start sowing. If he wants a big crop, what does he do? He plants a lot of seed. 
And that's just what God is saying here. Not one, one bag of seed doesn't produce one bag of seed. One bag of seed produces multiple bags of seed. It's the law of the sowing and reaping. And it's the same thing with your money. Many people don't give because they think, oh, it doesn't matter. No, it does matter. It matters in my life and it matters in your life. And it matters to God because he actually wants to bless you. He wants to do something spectacular in your life. We're going to be receiving actually an offering at the end of service. Maybe God is speaking to you right now to plant some seed. Maybe, maybe you've never tithed before and you say, you know what, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try to tithe. I'm going to do it today. And you're like, but once you start running the numbers, you think, oops, I don't have it at the end of the month. So maybe I won't. Let me encourage you. By faith, believe that scripture we've just read. By faith, test God and see. Just test him. If he, if he fails you, then there you go. There's your answer. But I, I am bold enough to say, if you will test God, if you will, I believe that scripture. I do not believe that that scripture is made up by a televangelist that guilt you into giving money. I don't do it. I, I don't believe it. I believe this is for you, for your life, that if you will test God and see that he will be true to his word and open up the windows of heaven and pour out on you a blessing you cannot contain. I really believe that. This is not about prosperity gospel. This is not about you sowing so that you can get. This is about you sowing because you love the Father. That's what it's about. Because you love him. Because you want to please him with your life. Because you want him to use you however he wants you to use you. He, because you're acknowledging that the things in your life actually aren't yours. They actually belong to God. And I want to challenge you today as my, my family. We're going to take an offering in just a moment. Maybe God would lead you to give double. Maybe you've never tithed before in your life. I'm, start somewhere. Start at 2%. Start at 3%. Start at 4%. Wherever you are, start somewhere so that you can access the blessings of God on your life. And number four, one of the keys to unlocking God's promises is this. Preserve your integrity. If you preserve your integrity, God says, I will assume responsibility for all of your financial needs. Listen, God doesn't bless dishonesty. He does not do it. You might think, yeah, he does. I know some dishonest people who have got some money. According to Scripture, Proverbs 16, 11 says, The Lord demands fairness in every business deal. That includes wages. If you, if you own a business, you need to be paying your people fairly. Why? Because it's your responsibility to God. Because that's integrity. If, you, if, if, if you're selling something, you need to make sure you're doing it in, in, in integrity. Your taxes... If you want God's blessing on your finances, you're going to have to be honest. You can't rip people off. That's, isn't that a novel thought? Proverbs 19.11 says this. It's better to be poor and honest than rich and dishonest. Why? Because, because Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and he loses his soul? But there are other promises. This is a that This is a... This is a, a a statement, almost like an extreme statement. But if you are honest and if you follow God's principles, you're not going to be poor. Proverbs 10.22 says this, The blessing of the Lord brings wealth and he adds no trouble to it. So that's why, have you ever known someone who's made money and it brought trouble to them? They had more money in their bank account, but it ended up costing them more in the long run. You ever know someone doing that? That's what, this, that's what the passage is saying. Prophet may dishonestly 
dishonestly always brings trouble. Always brings trouble. You will reap what you sow. If you reap dishonesty, guess what? You're going, sorry, if you sow dishonesty, you're going to reap it. It's just a part of our lives. And eventually, you're going to reap it. And the last one is this. How do you access God's promises for your life? It's a very simple is this. Trust Him with your life. Listen, we serve a good God. He loves you. He loves you. I think even today as you were singing the worship songs about I believe in you, God. Some of you were singing that from a place of faith because you don't feel like you believe. You don't believe he's actually good. You're struggling in your faith, and that's okay. You're here today. The key to getting past the struggling faith is to honestly just say, God, I'm struggling my faith. I need you to help me. It's like the man in Scripture that comes up to, to Jesus. Jesus, I believe. Can you help me to believe? It's the same way. This last point, God, I, I want to put my trust in you. I want to trust you with my life. God, I want to trust you with my life, but can you help me trust you with my life? It's hard, God. This is, I, this is scary. I, I'm freaked out. I, I, I don't know what's going on. And I'm facing this financial struggle. I'm facing this health struggle. I'm facing this relational struggle. I, I'm, my, my kids are going off the rail, God. I, God, I want to trust you. Can you help me to trust you? And God wants you to know through his grace and his kindness and his love to you that he is trustworthy. And you may not totally understand what's going on or what the heck is going on. And you, 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 are, you are struggling. God says this, I want you to come to me. I want you to trust me with your life. Stop holding back your emotions and your, your obedience and your feeling and the doubt in your heart. Just give it to me and trust me. I want you to seek me first. Well, you might be saying, to, I, I, I don't believe if I give that God can meet my needs. I don't believe if, if I tithe that God, I, Jason, that doesn't make any sense to me. You're right, it doesn't. That's why God says, my ways are not your ways. Man, I don't want a God who thinks like me. <laughs> I want a God who thinks like the God of the universe. That if you will seek first, as it says in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom. Above all else. In other words, just do what, what you know God wants you to do and ask Him and He will engage with you and live righteously. He will give you everything you need. I believe this with all of my heart. And I think all of us today are challenged to the place where we think, you know what, God, maybe you're, you're three of the five, you're two of the five, maybe you're, you're four of the five, but I guarantee you every single person in this room one of those points, we need to say, God, help me with that. Tax season's coming up. This year, you need to do your taxes differently. You need to do them honestly. And your business practices, you say, well, it's just business. You need to be honest. You're a follower of the King of Jesus Christ. He says, I invite you to be honest. Maybe you haven't talked to God in a while about things you're struggling, things you're going through. Today's the day. Start doing that. Whatever the cost, what's right is right. No matter what, it, what you think it will cost you. Because the benefit 
the sowing of righteousness, you will reap that benefit from. Can we all stand to our feet today? We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.